Um, let me begin by welcoming those folks at home, our folks online that would be joining us. Appreciate you uh, tuning in today. We've had an amazing time in the Lord's house already this morning. We've had a uh, uh, time of worship together, prayer time together, and heard from a couple of our young people who were on mission trips and heard some testimonies and uh, just been awesome. So uh, thank you for dropping in with us at this point and sharing the word of God with us. But uh, if you're in the area, boy, we'd welcome you to come and join and be a part of what goes on here. Um, you're wondering, can I do this in uh, 20 minutes and have you out of here at 15 after? Uh, yeah, uh, I knew this was coming today. I'm only going to deal with one characteristics of love today. And uh, I think that that's where we'll go. We started this really in First John and we looked at leading with love and we've been talking about love. And then we jumped over to First uh, Corinthians and we started in our 13th chapter and we started there looking at <clears throat> uh, some things that have to do with love. We kind of broke that chapter down this way. Uh, we looked at the beginning there, one through three, that shows the absolute necessity of love. And then 13, four through seven, we jumped into the characteristics of love. And that's where we're going to be today. Verse five was where we left off with it, love seeks not its own. And we're going to jump in this morning at that uh, point of the verse that says love is not easily provoked. And that's where we're going to hang out today for a few minutes. Its eternal permanence is what is talked about next in 8 through 12. Love's eternal permanence. And then uh, 13, the last verse of that chapter, we see love's absolute supremacy. And that outline came from the pulpit uh, commentary. And that's kind of the one that we're following. As we start this morning, this is a, a tricky one. And I want us to... To be sure that we look at this as we continue our discussion on love from the right perspective. And I want us to look at it from the standpoint of giving it versus receiving it. Um, it's real easy to look at something and say, mm, boy, I'm not getting that in my world and want more of it and be demanding for it or try to manipulate your world in order to receive that. That's not what we want to do. We want to look at it today. In light of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us, in light of the transformation that that made in our life and makes in our life, and we want then to see it from the standpoint of what we want to give. That's easier said than done. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of the things that he talks about is love. And when we are really loved and we find those love relationships, yeah, I see my grinning section over here this morning. What a doll baby. I got so many babies in my world life right now. Life is just good. I mean, I can turn whatever way I want and hold a baby. It's just good stuff. Uh, in this hierarchy of needs, we find that place of love and we find that place where we belong. And it's in those top five needs that he says we want and crave as human beings. Okay, so we know that. Immediately when we talk about this and we look at love, we're evaluating this a lot of times based upon what we want instead of what we want to give in the area of love. It's kind of like a starving man that has nothing to eat and you come to him and say, let me talk to you about gratitude and how to give when he's got nothing to give. And a lot of times we feel that way in our love bank, like I got nothing left to give. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have experienced the love that he has for you, even in a little fashion, 
in simply coming to him for forgiveness of sins in salvation. Let's say you've not been a Christian for a hundred years and you've barely grown at all. You should still have some understanding of the great, immense, immeasurable love that God has for you in providing what he did on Mount Calvary, what Jesus did for us, what it took to forgive our sins in order that we might be able to step back into a right relationship with God and the love that God had for us. We ought to be able to tap in on that. And we ought to be able to feel like we belong when we look up. And we ought to be able to feel like we belong within the body of Christ and the family of God, right? So there ought to be something we can give. If you know Jesus Christ, you're not at that place where you're the starving man with no bread to give anybody else and somebody's talking about gratitude and giving. You should have a great sense of gratitude. There is much that you've been given. You should be able to turn around and give. And so look at it this morning from that perspective. Love is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. I'm going to do this because I don't like that one. And uh, we'll go this way. This word provoked is used uh, a couple other times in the Bible. One of the ones that stands out. You remember the argument between Paul and Barnabas about John Mark and whether or not they would take him? This same word for that, that Paul uses here, provoke, that was the word that took place there. There was that kind of provocation between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. And what happened as a result of that? They split company and went their separate ways. Now, I think that says something to us about the gravity of this word. Something to us about whatever was going on there. When he says, love is not easily provoked. Let me read you this from uh, Clark's commentary. I think it is. Love, when it is perfected, rises superior to all the temptations to grow exasperated. Although it may often be indignant. Now listen to this. I love his illustration here. As a spark which falls into the sea hurts not the sea, but it just extinguishes itself. So an evil thing falling and befalling a loving soul will be extinguished. Isn't that pretty cool? What a picture. To be so full of love for those people around us that that provocation would just hit it and be diffused. Just hit it and be gone. No reaction, no return, nothing but love absorbing. What a picture. I love that. Now the commentaries that I read and I studied on this all pretty much seem to agree. That when you go back to the early manuscripts, that word easily should not be in there. A lot of people think that some redactor added it down the road. It was a part of just the translation process from the Greek to the English, you know. And uh, they say, to say that love is not provoked was just too much. And so people said love is not easily provoked. But the easily is not in there. And so again, if you're looking for the most literal translation, I always go back to the American standard, the uh, old American standard, and that's what it says. Love is not provoked. Okay, now that makes it even harder, doesn't it? I can live with easily provoked, but now love is not provoked? It's not going to be provoked? Really? 
I think, is that possible? And I think of Diedrich Bonhoeffer and how in that prison camp there, the Nazis and what they were doing to the people around him and what they did to him. And they said of him, he owned the prison because no matter what they did to him or others, they could not make him hate them. No bitterness, no hatred. Love is not provoked. Could we do that? Should we do that? Is that the example the Lord set? Certainly there's no place in our life for bitterness. But how, how narrow is our life sometimes? We seem to be provoked really quickly, don't we? And sometimes can give a really sharp, agitated answer over nothing. Matthew Henry puts it in a, in a way that accommodates the easy, which is where most of us like to live and we're way more comfortable with. And this is what he says. Love will never be angry without a cause and will endeavor to confine the passions within proper limits that they may not exceed the measure that is just either in degree or in duration. Anger cannot rest in the bosom where love reigns. It runs to be reconciled. I like that better, don't you? I like it a lot better because it says within the proper limits. So, oh, I can get angry within the proper limits. But it shouldn't exceed the proper limits in duration or in degree, right? So I'm just going to match tongue and tone, right? No. See how we'd like to dumb things down sometimes? You know, and, and I know immediately we're going to run to uh, Jesus clearing the temple and, you know, the woes that he pronounced to those Pharisees and, and some things like that. You know, I think God does have an anger and we'll talk about it maybe briefly here in just a minute, but... Maybe he's the only one that really knows when and where and how to get angry too when we look at it. I think we need to be careful here. I think we need to be really careful. Because in our justification, we may make a place for anger in our life that drives a wedge and drives love completely out of our life. I like what Matthew Henry said. Anger cannot rest in the bosom where love reigns. The two just don't work together, do they? They don't. Okay. The Duke, years ago, I went to one of his seminars years ago, like 10. And I, that'll be important in a minute, but it's not right now. And in his leadership class, this is what he said. Speaking on the issue of anger. He said, anger... He's, he's given us seven things here. I'm just going to read them quick. Obviously, I got 10 minutes. Anger allows Satan to gain control of your life and the life of your family. Anger allows Satan to gain control of your life and the life of your family. Is that scriptural? Ephesians 4.26 says that if you let the sun go down on your anger, you are giving the devil a stronghold. So absolutely, that would be true. You're giving a, the devil a stronghold in your life. You're giving the devil a stronghold in your family. Anger, he said, is most men's biggest problem. 
I got no scripture for that. That's just his opinion. And he had lots of stats and stuff that he gave that bore that out. That was 10 years ago. Things have happened in the last 10 years. We are a much more patient, passive society. There's less now to stir us up than there was 10 years ago. So if this was something that he thought was a reality 10 years ago, whether he was right or not, it's more today. But in his dealing with men, as he dealt with them in the family situations with their wives, their wives would say, anger is a big deal. Shortness is a big deal. That little bickering, that little, all that stuff that just comes out of anger with a quick, a quick reaction instead of comes with nourishing and cherishing and love and patience and kindness. He said we must learn to master our anger. We must. Self-control is the key to that. If you look at Proverbs 29, 11, it says a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Keep yourself under control or give full vent to your anger. If you've given full vent to your anger, you know you missed it. Do we ever do that? I do that most often when I watch TV. I'm a pretty patient, gentle, kind guy when I just shut the TV off. You talk to yours too? There's some things that just break our heart, and I think we should look at it more from the standpoint of broken heart than from the standpoint of anger. If we could step back from a minute and get away from our anger, we'd probably just cry. When I think about abortion and I see what's happening now with the leak and all that's going on and the way people are raising up against it and all the arguments that take place, I just wonder where in the world is the baby? Nobody's talking about the life that's being killed. And as I told you earlier, I got lots of babies in my household and I can turn one way or another and hold one and I cannot imagine a society that does not value human life at that stage. I hope this is a place for healing for those who have stepped into the lies of the devil and been a part of that. I know you can find that grace and mercy at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is healing and forgiveness there. But as a nation in a country, we need to step away from these lies and into truth. And it can anger you if you're not careful. It's hard to sit and watch anybody be murdered. Even if it's done in ignorance. We got to step away and look at things with compassion. And brokenness. And then maybe we'll be the people we need to be to restore. God's agents to help people move through those crises. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions and to live how self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age ah, self-controlled upright godly lives that's where we want to be we must learn to master our anger he says this and you men will love this one he says don't ever get angry at your wife even a little bit Oh, I saw it. All them women going, mm -hmm, no, I thought, yeah. 
Boy, if you can do that, you've done something, haven't you? Not even a little bit. When I first heard that, that was a tough one for me. I mean, Lori and I don't get mad at each other and scream and holler and call each other names and, you know, do all that stuff that people do so that you think later, oh boy, now I'll never take that back. And you do damage in those moments that you can never repair. We're, we're not that couple. But never to get angry even a little bit, never to be short that little bit. I thought that was an incredibly challenging. And it doesn't just go one way. Remember your marriage vows. I mean, it goes, it goes, the women can get short with men too. You know, I'm just picking on us today. But remember your marriage vows. That, that little word cherish. When you think about cherish, it just doesn't have that shortness with it, does it? Here's another thing he said about anger I really love. Trying to control your children by your anger is stupid. I love that. And it is. But we do that, don't we? I've heard men say, the reason I yell is because that's the only time anybody in my home listens to me. Probably because that's the pattern that you've put in place. Growing kids God's way. First time obedience. If you move and act the first time, you don't have to yell, right? You train your kids to first time obedience. It's just that simple. But we don't. And it's like, no, 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 no. And then there we are. Angry men are not used by God, he says. It certainly limits our use by God. Moses got angry one time and he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And he said, well, he was still used by God. Yeah, but he didn't finish the job. It limited the amount of availability or usefulness, it would seem, that God was going to allow him to step into because of the one angry outburst. Wow, does that not add some gravity or weight to this idea of anger? It certainly is the opposite of love and patience and gentleness and kindness. He says if you're going to master this, make a commitment to cease from all anger and establish a firm plan that you review every time you get angry. Here's the suggestion. Memorize some anti-angry Bible verses. Apologize to God every time you get angry and to the person you get angry at. That really helps. Well, maybe not everybody. But I don't really like to apologize and go to people and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I'd rather just not make those mistakes, you know. It's a pretty humbling thing to do that. And I hate to have to do that. I'd rather not make the mistake. How about you? You just want to make the mistakes. You want to make, live your life just saying, will you forgive me? And so, you know, uh, that can be a real motivation sometimes. I, I recently got in a yelling fight with one of my relatives. And after it was over, I told Lori, now I've got to go apologize. And I did. And I said, I will never yell at that person again. And she said, yeah, how do you know that? And I said, because I am never going to have to apologize again. Right. Uh, is there a motivation there? Well, there can be. Yeah. Learn to forgive others quickly, he says. Learn to forgive others quickly. Don't, don't let it linger. When God convicts, move. Here's a good one. Don't talk when you feel angry. Yeah, I got a lot of yeses that way. When you feel angry, just shut up. Man, that's great advice, isn't it? It really is. 
Work hard at becoming a person who praises and encourages others. Now make that real praise and real encouragement and make it character qualities as you actually observe them. Praising others, saying, oh, that's a beautiful dress today. Mm, no, that's not really the kind of thing that you're looking at. You're looking for that thing that builds character. Wow. I was impressed with that act of kindness. I was impressed with that act of courage. I was impressed with that act of service. Those kinds of things. Wow, those, those are incredible things that God's working in your life. Never, ever justify or excuse your anger. You're never going to move forward as long as you're justifying it. Remember, the devil wins when you get angry. That's important information to know. Okay, I'm done, but I got to say one thing to end, okay? Because the time is there. I want to wrap it up this way. I want to talk for a minute, just a second. I told you at the beginning we would. Let's talk about God's anger for a minute. Does he get angry? There's an anger of God. There's a wrath of God that is revealed against all unrighteousness. It's talked about in Romans. And you don't want to be in a place to have God angry with you. And the best way I know to get into a place where you don't have to experience God's anger, his wrath at all, is to do what? Give your life to Lord Jesus Christ. You no longer stand in opposition to Him. You stand then as one of His children. As dearly loved. As treasured. The devotional we've been reading. She uses scripture verses like, He delights in you. He rejoices in you. That's the way God will look at you. Not as an object of His wrath. If you will just turn from sin, self, and Satan. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him to come into your life, forgive your sin, and be your Lord and Savior. God, I'm tired of that. I want to walk. I want to follow you. I receive what you did for me on Mount Calvary in forgiving my sins. And you provided a way for me to step into the love of God. And that love of God that you step into is what cast out fear. And now we no longer walk in fear of God's, or of God's wrath. We walk in His love, in abundant life, and we look forward to the hope of eternal life. God is patient. He is so long-suffering. I'm going to end with this verse. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. No, immediately. When we come to Christ Jesus, we're freed. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In Jesus Christ, I'm free. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Remember that spark in the ocean? That's our Lord. As a father has compassion on his children, because we are his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Are you his? Love, perfect love, cast out all fear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for our moments together. And uh, Lord, just the seconds that we have looked at your word as it speaks to us. 
on a love that is not provoked. Let us step into maybe a little more this week than we ever have before. An unprovocable love. And that's only going to be accomplishable in great measure by reaching out and beginning to look at our love relationship with you and experiencing it in its fullness. And beginning to see, Lord, this world from a new heavenly perspective of your love. Lord, if there's anyone listening that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would receive what you have done for them on Mount Calvary. And let the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord God, wash through their life, cover their sins, free them, Lord Jesus, from the anything that would be the fear and the wrath of the Lord. To walk in the love that we inherit as children of God. Thank you for our moments together. Lord, speak to our hearts. Because we want to be more like Jesus. Amen.